Yes, indeed. We do need a revolution. We need a real health revolution. And it starts right here, one conversation at a time on an informed life radio, 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager here today, and I've got a fantastic guest I'm going to be bringing on here in in just a minute. Um, Really the biggest topic of the day, uh, I guess it's a double-sided, it's it's the upcoming election and COVID-19. And they are so entangled in so many ways. Um, you know, it's just been filling our lives. And I know we'll, we'll all be relieved when next week is over. We just hope that next week it is over, <laughs> whatever that means, right? It's, it's going to be a little bit crazy. So in order to sort of help listeners, you know, this is an informed life radio. And you know, I, I put information out there. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to take what I say and then go explore on your own and, and look at what people are saying opposite of me and people who are aligned with me and go as far down to the primary sources as you can of information and then decide for yourself what, what resonates with you, what feels right. And we have to do this continually in life because what I believed when I was 20 years old is not what I believe now. I mean, what I believed four years ago is not what I believe now, right? I mean, I'm always evolving and changing and learning and and trying to reevaluate as I go forward. And I think this whole COVID chaos crisis has really shown us how important it is for us in a free country to be independent thinkers, critical thinkers, willing to stand up and challenge what we are being told to do. Um, that is, that's what we need to make this republic, this democracy flourish. So, you know, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our wonderful guest. It's Mary Holland, who is the full-time general counsel and the vice chair of the wonderful Children's Health Defense. Um, Mary has fought long and hard in the vaccination choice and safety movement. In the last 15 years, she has co-written and edited two books, Vaccine Epidemic and the HPV Vaccine on Trial. And I'm going to squirrel here just a minute in her introduction because I think it's been almost a year and a half ago now. We um, Informed Choice Washington brought out Mary and two of her her co-authors on this fabulously researched book all about the science. Um, behind um, Merck's um, HPV vaccine Gardasil, which is on trial. I believe there's at least four major cases that are outside of vaccine court right now. And they were able to be outside of court because it's about fraud and, and you know, um, things that should not have happened in the, in the clinical trials leading to injury. Um, and And so we brought them out and got them an appointment with the Washington State Secretary of Health, John Wiesman. And it was a wonderful, you know, nearly an hour of conversation of them bringing the latest up-to-date science on the concerns about Gardasil. And at the end of that meeting, um, the secretary, I, I had one ask. I said, could the state pause using state money and resources? Could the state pause promoting HPV vaccination until these trials could be completed and we could get some answers about these um, health concerns. He said no. 
that was it. And I mean, it was a very moving near hour of hard data. And we, we also had the mother of a young woman who, who passed away from her Gardasil injuries um, there in the room. Um, so this, I mean, Mary is a very important person for medical freedom, informed consent, and has engaged in so many ways. So I'll, I'll go ahead and continue these books. Um, she is, has founded two nonprofits. She's published seminal legal articles on critical dimensions of vaccine law and policy, constitutionality, herd immunity, liability for injury, and the connection between vaccines and autism. I could just go on and on. There's just so much that she has done. Um, always generous with her time, her expertise. She herself is very open-minded and always learning. And I'm just going to end it there. Mary Holland, welcome to An Informed Life Radio. Oh, it's such an honor to be with you, Bernadette. You're one of my heroes. So it's oh, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's, it's a movement. I think I said this last week. Um, when you become passionate about this subject, because you so just want people to be safe, right? Safe from disease, safe from the products that target the diseases, you know? It, you meet people who have learned what you've learned and seen the same things, and we become like a family. Yeah. You know, there is such love between the people. And even when we don't completely agree on the pathways forward to reform and getting the changes we need, there's that strong bond between us. You know, I think that's fabulous. Um, so, you know, today we're going to talk about, about freedom of speech. In fact, I wrote down here something because, um, let's see, where did I, where did I put that? Um, okay. So freedom of speech, censorship, information suppression. There are so many different ways that the information that's being, um, put out to the public is, being manipulated and controlled and limited. And that has the impact of completely changing um, what the general public hears, what they think they know, and what they believe about what is happening. That's what I want to talk to you about in this very important Friday before Big Tuesday. Right, right. Well, um, you know, it's a first freedom, right? So it's the first amendment. And right after freedom of religion comes freedom of speech and freedom of the press, right? So our forebears, our forefathers and our foremothers really understood that um, without freedom of speech and freedom of the press, a democracy is impossible, right? The states wouldn't ratify the constitution without the first 10 amendments. And this is at the top of the first amendment. And so it's bedrock, right? Nothing else really, like if you don't have freedom of speech, how can you sort of move towards health freedom or you know, tax reform or racial justice or any of those things? How can you move forward on other rights unless you, you have the opportunity not only to speak but to publish, right? Freedom of the press. And um, I, Bernadette, in my lifetime, um, I have never seen the kind of censorship that I'm encountering now, right? I have never seen it. And I don't know if you know, listeners, but you know, before I really became passionate and, and working so um, intently on vaccine choice and health freedom, um, my passion was really for human rights uh, in the Soviet Union and then in the post-Soviet world. And so I used to go and talk about freedom of press and freedom of expression, freedom of speech 
in the Soviet Union and in Russia and in Georgia and in Armenia and Latvia. And, you know, I mean, so for me to see the kind of censorship that I saw there is just so shocking to me. And I think one of the things, you know, so I'm privileged to work with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And he just started a very, very powerful speech that he gave to people who were engaging in freedom of assembly around the world on Saturday. And he started by saying, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was very wise. And at a time when people were really incredibly fearful about the future in the late 1930s and the world was moving towards fascism and communism and there were many many people in the united states who were really moving in those directions he said the only thing to fear is fear itself mm -hmm. and tyranny cannot survive um, without fear and propaganda those are its pillars and when you think about what's happening to us in this covid pandemic what's happening absolute panic, widespread fear. If I come in contact with my neighbor, I might die. And propaganda. You and I know that the things that we think are really important pieces of information, they can't get to the mainstream about mm -hmm. hydroxychloroquine, about masks, about things people can do to promote their immunity, um, about you know what's happening in the lockdown, what are the, you know, sort of the, the collateral consequences. So that information isn't getting out because the propaganda is COVID-19 all the time. Yeah. So it, it's a scary, you know, it to me actually, it's, it's a pretty scary time. I mean, these are mm -hmm. things that I've never seen in the United States as overtly. I'm not saying there's never been, you know, sort of a skewed narrative and certain censorship. There has been, and we could talk about that, but it's so blatant right now. It's it, just so blatant. It is blatant, and I can see how they sowed the, that's not even the right metaphor here, but the, how they created the foundation for this to happen using um, disease, because, you know, we have been trying to promote the fact that you have an immune system, you can have healthy immunity if you support your immune system, and there are, you know, all sorts of things that you can do, but public health has embraced the fear paradigm, and the, the the brilliant evil marketing of the fear paradigm is not just that you fear the disease. I think the worst of it is that you fear being accused of spreading the disease. You fear you fear losing your license for not taking measures they tell you will lead to somebody spreading disease. You know you fear being ostracized for standing up and criticizing. It's, it's, it's really fear of disease is minimal. I've talked to so many people. I, you know, I talk to everybody everywhere I go. And, you know, I rarely meet somebody who is, believes that the mask they have on protects anybody, but they're afraid to take it off. I'll lose my job if I take it off. I don't want to be harassed. You know, it is so powerful. Fear is powerful. And, you know, it, it began with, the seeds of fearing disease, but then it expanded. And it's just like with measles. So when measles went around, you know, we had this tiny little inbreak, we called it, in a small community. And we would have representative and legislators stand on the on the floor of the chamber and just um, you know, just 
say all these things about, you know, oh, how it's going to spread. And, and, and I don't want to be accused of being somebody who spread it. And I'm right there when they said that they don't want to be accused. <laughs> and um, so it's sort of this whole paradigm. And it really, if you want to capture society, um, all of those emotional aspects that goes with infection are what are played with, with us, right? Well, as you've pointed out, fear is an incredibly potent motivator. And I often, I think you're right, that people are fearful of being accused. And I compare it, you may remember a long time ago, but a presidential election, essentially, um, George W. Bush won the presidency in large part because of the Willie Horton campaign. And what he accused his um, competitor Governor Dukakis of was he was being soft on crime and he let out somebody on bail and that person who was out on bail committed another murder. Mm -hmm. And so there was this sense that there was fear of crime, but it was like, you don't want to be like that judge who let out that criminal, right? Yeah. You don't want to take the risk. There's a sort of bias towards, you know, avoid any avoidable risk. Of course, the problem, Bernadette, is like they're not weighing all the other risks, right? They're yeah. not weighing the violence. They're not weighing the health appointments that are missed. They're not, you know, weighing the uh, suicides. They're not weighing the depression. They're not weighing the school loss. They're not weighing any of that, the employment mm -hmm. loss. So, but the fear of disease is very grave. And, you know, one of my dear friends and colleagues, Vera Sharab, um, is a Holocaust survivor. She was in a concentration camp as a very young child in Romania. And she really makes the analogy that, you know, Jews were being considered spreaders of disease. They were like lice and they have to be exterminated. They were mm -hmm. spreading disease. And so this, this paradigm of disease spreaders mm -hmm. <laughs> is not mm -hmm. new. And right. it's a very dangerous paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, I work daily. I get up every day and it's like, what else can I put out there? How can I spread the, the news that treatments exist? You know, there's the healthyimmunitynow.org website with the existing treatment protocols. I'm always putting the data out there. And, and this is not Bernadette's data. You know, it's, right. it's, it's the it's coming from the top organizations, even from the CDC itself. And, you know, just look, just look, take a deep breath and look, right? Um, but it's really a difficult battle because, you know, we're shadow banned, we're, our, our reach is limited. The Informed Choice Washington just petitioned the State Board of Health and the Secretary of Health to convene a committee of practitioners who know about these effect, effective treatment protocols, you know, ranging from nutrient only to nutrient plus drug. And, you know, these are mainstream used in ICUs and in family practices and everything. Um, they turned down, it took them two months. We, we filed in August and just October 13th, they declined. And um, the reason was decline for declining said that it, um, it was outside of their scope, which I argue with when I read their description of their, the law, no, it's well within their scope. But then they said they didn't have the time or resources to do it. And I argue what could be more important in a pandemic than making sure everybody knows about the existing treatment protocols. And then they said that it's up to the feds to do it. Of course, the feds aren't doing it. Um, and what's crazy is the Secretary of Health actually said about this idea for committee, he says, oh, this is a great idea. I just so you know, thankful you guys came together and did this. And, and you know, it absolutely needs to happen. It's not in my wheelhouse. 
but it absolutely needs to happen. And, you know, so I recently replied to that and just said, you know, action speaks louder than words. You are pushing fear and lockdown and mask up and you're not saying a word about treatment. So it's so disingenuous, you know, you've got to think that there's something else. Well, I mean, you know, Bernadette, I'm not opening, you know, a book for you here. I mean, follow the money, right? So the money is not in inexpensive therapeutics like vitamin D or hydroxychloroquine. The money is in, you know, expensive treatments like remdesivir and in um, vaccines. That's where all the money's going. That's where, that's what's sexy. That's where the, you know, intellectual property is. Uh, And beyond that, that's where potentially control is, you know, not potentially, that's where control is. So, you know, there's been, we know that information about therapeutics has not only been funded, but it's been suppressed. The information has been suppressed. In fact, Mm -hmm. you know, there have been fraudulent studies in major medical journals. So it's very, you know, we know that it's troubling. And the sad reality is that people who aren't in our community, they don't even know that this information has been suppressed. They really don't know. Um, I found it it kind of amazing that, uh, very recently, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci said, oh, yes, by the way, I'm taking vitamin C and vitamin D. You know, it's like, well, why didn't you tell the rest of the country that that's what you were doing for the last six months, you know? So. Yeah, they, you, you know, I'm always a hopeless optimist. I mean, I am very, very concerned about what's going on now. I mean, this is very serious, but I also hold that hope because I believe that spotlights are being, you know, shine, shown. I never know the right tense of that verb to say. Um, there's a spotlight on anyway. The things that we have been shouting that Absolutely. need reform, public health needs reform, um, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the things that you and I have been talking about for 15 years, Bernadette, you know, the rest of the world is now talking about them, right? Vaccine clinical trials have never, ever, had the kind of scrutiny that they're having now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they try to now put these out actually and, and license some of these or give them emergency use authorizations, and there are gonna be injuries. I mean, they're gonna get a level of scrutiny that's never happened before. It, mm-hmm. it's, gonna be, it's gonna be very hard to derail this train. We're working on it, but it's gonna be hard. But one of the things that can derail the train is freedom of expression is public information, right? Is that people are not gonna be silent when these vaccines, you know, early next year are gonna be pushed on the front line, right? On medical personnel who are very sophisticated. I think there's gonna be trouble, right? And if we think back to the last time this happened, Bernadette, it was after 9-11, there was a serious anthrax scare Mm-hmm. And um, the Bush administration, the uh, the W administration, I was HW, as mentioned before, the W administration uh, tried to impose anthrax vaccines on all national healthcare workers, and they rebelled because the injury rate was so significant. It just mm-hmm. they they just it, they they had to stop the program. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting is that the first in the first line in all of these state uh, COVID nineteen vaccination plans are healthcare workers. And I think that's going to be challenging for the powers that be. I really do. I feel like we really need to get an education campaign out to those healthcare workers to inform them so they can, you know, the things that we know, like about the Moderna mRNA vaccine, the PEG, lipid nanoparticles, the HIV concern, you know, um, all of the vaccines that have the adenovirus um, vector, 
you know, this is major mainstream science that it increases your risk of HIV. You know, we need to get all of that information out them as well as to let, to make sure they understand that nobody is responsible. The PrEP no, Act. Let, yeah. So let's spend a moment on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is important. So from a legal perspective, you know, not only are vaccines unique, that these are a commercial product that can be mandated at the state level to anybody. So that's, you know, really unique, right? But the other thing that is just unbelievable is that in general, vaccines that are federally recommended for children, you know, you have to go to a special government run compensation program, about 30% of people ever recover. It's got a lot of hoops. It's not a very robust judicial system. But what's going to happen with these COVID vaccines is they've been, they're being, they have gotten emergency use authorizations they will get emergency use authorization under a, a law called the 2005 PREP Act. And <laughs> there's, it's virtually impossible to recover for injuries. So right now, what we know about this program that was set up in 2005, it's called a countermeasures injury compensation program. We know through freedom of information that 8% of petitions have been fulfilled, 8% Bernadette. And those you have to file that within one year. Many of these injuries aren't really gonna materialize within one year. I mean, in other words, you have to understand if you get a COVID-19 vaccine, you are on your own. Emily Tarsell, whom you mentioned obliquely, um, a mother of a child who died, you know, the acronym we came up with is, you know, yo-yo, you are on your own. Mm. It, you're completely on your own. And if you basically can't walk, you can't work, you can't function, tough luck. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that I think you've got a really good point that perhaps we could, as a community, be working with physicians for informed uh, consent and 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 other sort of medical groups to really see if we can't get information to the medical community who are in the first line to yeah. get these new vaccines. And you know, even you know, if we if the people who listen and decide, no, I'm going to stand up and say, you know, no to this. But the ones who decide, well, you know, I'm going to do it anyway because I don't. Maybe they have the faith in the people doing it. But if they have the information and they do have an adverse reaction, they will know what to do, right? They right. will know. Not that there's much they can do, but maybe they'll turn to our community. One of the things that's so hard, Bernadette, is that these truly are a new generation of vaccines. So all of these mRNA, you know, they've never been licensed before. We mm -hmm. truly, I feel as if we really don't know what all those injuries are going to look like or what to do. I mean, mm -hmm. we have some idea what to do with, you know, an MMR injury, you know, don't take Tylenol. We have some, some idea what to do with the DPT injury. I think it's going to be really hard. We, we don't even know which of the vaccines are really going to be out there first, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson and Johnson um, or AstraZeneca, but we don't really know what those injuries are going to look like. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And there's, okay. So if I'm understanding the, the way e emergency use authorization works for a vaccine, if effective treatments exist, which we know they do, but they're not really acknowledging at the um, federal level that treatments exist and we got this. If treatments don't exist, that's the only condition under which they can give vaccines, experimental rushed vaccines, emergency use. Is that correct? Have you read that? Uh, you know, I need to go back and look at the fine print that that's absolutely mm -hmm. necessary. I mean, I think you're right that the basis for the emergency is that there's nothing that that is 
comparable. That's, mm -hmm. I, I'm not certain of that. Um, but basically, once the federal government has declared an emergency, which they did back in March, then anything that is done as a countermeasure, including therapeutics, right, including like remdesivir or including mm -hmm. hydroxychloroquine, those actually get liability protection. Yeah. Um, so, and it's very broad liability protection, Bernadette. It covers not only the producer, the pharmaceutical industry, but it also not only the physicians or the healthcare workers that give it, but it also covers the government planners. So yeah. it's extremely broad liability protection and very high threshold. I mean, um, Senator Kennedy at the time, Ted, Ted Kennedy really called it an abomination, this 2005 law. I mean, you have to have clear and convincing evidence. It's virtually impossible that you'd be able to get to a real court. You know, I, I've always, you know, said since I entered this and have seen so many people involved with vaccines in positions that they have zero responsibility for their decisions or their mandates um, or their products. And human beings are very flawed. We do not operate well or make good decisions if we have no responsibility for the outcome. And what we have with that PREP Act is you know, you've got some county officials saying, I'm gonna mandate it. Everybody has to do it, you know, and he's not responsible for the outcome of that order uh, and nobody you're right all the way down the road and and i'm almost wondering you know like our governor insley did he has he been told that masking up everybody even children and adolescents and pregnant women that he's can't be held accountable for these orders he's given because of the prep act i mean is that a covered countermeasure masking up the public question i don't think the masks are covered countermeasures actually i mean i that's an interesting question i haven't really looked at that um i don't think so but it's an interesting question i just wonder why he can be so reckless and encourage people to be so reckless with the the use of them in so many situations you know well, unfortunately, it's very interesting. I think, um, you know, in a panic, and a panic has been generated around all of this, um, you know, people basically do want somebody to take charge. They do want a leader in a war context, and this is essentially a war context, a war against a virus, allegedly. Um, people want leadership. And so, you know, governors or the president basically they are given power. So in my state in New York, you know, the legislature did vote to give the governor Cuomo just unbelievably broad powers. Now, it's a question whether or not that's a valid transfer of power, but they gave him enormous powers. And when that happens, Bernadette, again, courts are very reluctant to say, oh, gee, it's our job to second guess the governor when the legislature gave him these expansive powers and people are in a panic. You know, they're very reluctant to second guess the science or the authority of somebody who seems to be the leader in a crisis. Yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. And this is a, a great place for us to, to take a break. I want to pick this right up when, when we come back. So uh, you've been listening to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be right back.
Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4th, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me from joining me from New York is Mary Holland, Chief Counsel to Children's Health Defense. Uh, amazing person all the way around. Um, so, Mary, we were talking about like governors having this really more power than they've ever had because of the so-called emergency situation. Um, my concern is this. Now, for the first two weeks, it sort of maybe made sense as everybody was figuring out what the heck's going on. Data was coming in. Nobody really knew anything. But as things began to evolve and it became more clear how to treat it, what the data was, you know, everything, what, well, at least what happened in our state is um, uh, it's like a path was begun and no outside data was going to skew the governor from his path. And he has only been listening to the Gates Foundation, 
basically to idmod.org, which is running the uh, show in a lot of states, which is a Gates Foundation organization, IHME, um, again, Gates, the McKinsey um, Consulting Group, Global Group, leading, you know, and doing lots of data manipulation. And they all have that same mindset. And so, you know, little OS, Informed Choice Washington, I've been sending to Public Health Department and to Inslee a ton of science that, you know, conflicts with what he is doing. And it's like, where's the scientific debate? This and this and this, you know, please show us safety. Please show us this. Where You know, and you either get no response or you get some really lame response. Like there was this response out of the Department of Health regarding masks where, you know, show us the safety on children and people wearing a mask at work 40 hours a week, right? And their response was, well, in some cultures, people wear uh, face coverings all the time. They wear veils and such. And you're like, are you oh. kidding me? <laughs> um, oh uh, you can't oh compare. <laughs> That's oh my not, God, that's yeah. pretty lame. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty, you have to go to the Chador to, uh, you know, explain your mask. That's, right. And yeah. again, and that's not on children. You know, it's not people doing exercises, not somebody laboring at their work. And, and, you know, and that was in limited situations like women in public when there's men present, otherwise they take it off and it's a loose anyways. It's totally different. Yeah. So, so, you know, I've been trying to keep on the public record all of the information say about uh, of the, the clinical trials as they come in and the information we're discovering about um, these novel vaccine platforms, all that. So it's on public record that they know this stuff and they're ignoring it, you know? Um, and that's what I think is potentially illegal yeah. is not to listen. And um, our governor has refused to call a special session. He has refused to listen to the other legislators. He just keeps going. So, you know. Well, you know, I think <clears throat> there clearly are problems here, Bernadette, that, uh, you know, this is true in many states that, you know, a two, I agree with you, a two-week emergency, everybody's essentially, you know, willing to go along with that. You, you have a new serious, what seems to be a plague. Nobody knows what the story is. You say, listen, we have to get our bearings and we don't want to have more people get sick or die. I think, you know, almost everybody's willing to go along with that. But you can't continue that for eight months, especially when, as you point out, the information has changed dramatically, right? So you have to inject the dem democratic process and you have to have some kind of hearing process so that there are different views that are expressed and people can weigh and balance and decide what is the risk benefit ratio. But mm -hmm. what's interesting, Bernadette, in this country, Democracy is not dead. And, you know, some governors like Governor DeSantis in Florida held a public meeting with two physicians and scientists from Stanford and one from Harvard and, you know, said, I'm opening up completely and I will never lock down again. That's you know, and there are certain yeah. states that have not locked down. And one of the fascinating things globally is when you compare the numbers of hospitalizations and deaths of the countries that have locked down with those that haven't, for instance, my understanding recently is if you compare United Kingdom with Sweden, you know, they're virtually the same. And Sweden's economy has not been trashed, whereas mm -hmm. United Kingdom's has. So, you know, it, are these trade-offs necessary? Are they, do they really work? And there's a lot of speculation. Oh, only if we lock down, only if everybody wears a mask, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, it's it, effectively it's speculation and, and there are counterexamples, right? Sweden's counterexample is, listen, we're just going to, and they didn't do it perfectly. And they've acknowledged that unlike in New York, where our governor basically did, you know, condemn people in nursing homes to death by bringing in people who were infected. In Sweden, they acknowledged that what they did was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but they basically decided, you know, people are going to are in the best position to protect themselves. And we're just going to go about our business. And people did protect themselves. I mean, I watched the high wire interviews in Sweden and people were really, you know, people who are vulnerable were very cautious. But they have the great, you know, satisfaction of knowing that they didn't completely destroy their economy. I, I was reading something by one of the journalists in our community, Jeremy Hammond, I think yesterday or today. And I really loved what one of the things that he analogizes these sort of orders and, and vaccine mandates in general, he analogizes them to central planning, right? So again, I lived in the Soviet Union for on and off for many years. And, you know, there was something called Gosplan, you know, the, the state planning agency, and they would decide, okay, this section of Siberia gets this amount of widgets and this section of Ukraine gets that amount. And, you know, Bernadette, it doesn't work because the center just doesn't know really what Ukraine needs or Siberia needs. You have to have decision-making at a lower level mm -hmm. to really adequately meet the needs of that community and those people. And it's like, who knows better for a kid than their parent? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and yet, as you probably know, I mean, this is what we're fighting. This is what we're up against, that the central, the central planners, as it were, the modern day central planners who happen to be plutocrats in Silicon Valley and in pharma, you know, they want to edge out the moms and the dads. Yeah. And I, I think the only way we can get through this and the only way we can avoid this being done to us again is individual empowerment and the um and at, at the at the federal level to to have the integration of natural approaches in our public health response because there is no reason why tony fauci can only say remdesivir or vaccine at that podium he should be able to say our naturopathic community is telling us that these nutrients c d zinc um are very uh, critical in helping your immune system prepare to encounter a virus. He should be able to say that. He should say that. And, you know, anytime anything brand new comes along, you're not going to have a, a drug on the shelf or a vaccine on the shelf good to go. You have got to have those um, basic foundations of of health and knowing how to deal with inflammation and all of that. And that's going to be a combination, a nutrient mostly, but nutrient plus effective go-to been around a hundred years type drugs that, you know, have this safety profile and you start early, you know, it's just common sense. This has got to be integrated in public health. If we can do that, we can stop the powers that be that want to use things like this to destroy our economies in order to do the great reset or whatever. And I mean, I can't believe I'm even saying that and that it's not conspiracy because it's mainstream <laughs> goal out there. You know, you just had to go look at that word is everywhere. But, um, you know, see what I'm saying? You know, and so, but that's what's being suppressed. So, so, but again, Bernadette, we have to be realistic, follow the money, right? Yeah. Why is this happening? Why is somebody like a Tony Fauci 
basically only talking about things that make megabucks because mm -hmm. the regulators, as Bobby Kennedy likes to say, have become sock puppets of industry. They are not independent. They are basically being controlled by industry. And as part of this great reset, which is goes hand in hand with this pan, so-called pandemic, um, you know, this is it's all about what they're calling public-private partnerships, which is really a sort of sanitized name for fascism, right? Mm -hmm. This is really where corporations run the government. And this is what, the, this is the whole model. So this Klaus Schwab at World, at uh, WF, right? The World Economic Forum, uh, this is really his model is stakeholder capitalism. This is where, you know, it sort of, it seems like everybody's engaged. Well, it's not everybody, it's business basically taking over. and. I don't know if you happen to be a junkie enough to watch all five hours of Event 201, but I was <laughs> run by the World Economic Forum and uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Johns Hopkins Health Security Team. Yeah, why don't you tell and, the listeners who haven't heard about that, you know, sure, sure, what that was. Yeah. So, so back in um, last fall, about three months before the coronavirus was detected and declared uh, uh, public concern and then a pandemic, um, the Gates Foundation, Johns Hopkins Health Security Program, and the World Economic Forum um, had sponsored a scenario planning. They called it a, a tabletop exercise, which is a, a word that you use in wargaming. It's, it's about wartime. And they basically just remarkably precisely predicted the coronavirus epidemic. In fact, it was a coronavirus and it took over the world and there was economic devastation and there were deaths everywhere and it transformed the economies. And um, the only thing that would sort of save the day in their scenario, which was five hours, but there's a 15 minute version you can watch that doesn't have <laughs> highlights, fortunately, but it's all about public-private partnerships. It's all about how governments can't do this. Yeah governments can't figure this out. It's only us. We have the supply chain. We have the connections. We can make it happen. And, you know, we have to work together. And this is really the Great Reset is essentially all about um, forging, you know, the Great Reset is the fourth industrial revolution, Bernadette. I mean, there, the, the, the ideas behind this um, convenient uh, crisis, this convenient emergency are really quite profound. I mean, the ideas really go to the, they go to the place of there's no going back. Things will never go back to normal. Uh, this is sort of a great reset, just like 9-11 was a great reset. Uh, we're not going to go back to life the way it was before. I mean, I guess Tony Fauci is even saying, you know, masks are going to be around until 2022. I mean, I just saw that, you know, I mean, this is, you know, the vaccination passports. This is already being piloted. Um, uh, the, the level of intrusion, the contact tracers. I mean, you know, essentially the destruction of the middle class, the destruction of what are called small businesses, which are like multi-million dollar businesses. They're just gone because it's retail, it's restaurants, it's bars, it's Broadway, it's the opera, it's the symphony, it's musicians. I mean, it's been devastating. I, and, and it's not clear if we continue on this great reset path um, how those things come back. It's really not. I know. I never thought I would see all like the whole AMC movie chain just completely go out of business. And, right. A multi, yeah. multi, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. And yet, how can they survive if people are afraid to sit next to one another or mm -hmm. if government basically prohibits it? 
So what do you call a type of government that's actually um, corporate run? That's fascist. Fascist. It's, that's called fascism. Okay. So yeah, that's exactly what you know is and you know we've been right. and again so the, the the short version is where the government controls the corporations that's communism that was okay. the Soviet union very lackluster economy the government had very tight control over the corporations where the corporations control the government that was mussolini's italy that was hitler's germany that's fascism and that's where we're headed, really. That's that's really this great reset. And it's interesting, Bernadette, um, Klaus Schwab, who's the head of this World Economic Forum, I mean, he was born into 1930s Germany and um, he now lives in Switzerland, but, and he runs the Davos Fora. But when you really look at where he's from and what this philosophy is, I mean, it's a very totalitarian vision. It really is a very mm. totalitarian vision. And it's really, it's billionaires sort of, it's this elite who knows better and they should control everything. And we, the peons should just, you know, obey. Um, so it's a very, and, and, and the worst of it, <laughs> and it's hard to say what's worse, but, you know, we've gone beyond, I was just learning IOT, which is internet of things and only to learn that the World Economic Forum is pushing IOB, the internet of bodies. And the next platform in biotechnology is the human body. And it is the chips, it is the nanoparticles, it is the, you know, surveillance things. It is sort of the cyborgs. It is, that is the next step. And that is really here in terms of the patents, Bernadette. You and I, you know, it's hard to get your mind around this, but some of the, you know, forward thinkers in our community are really looking at this and it is eye-opening. It, it really, it is to, to see that in real life it could happen. And it's funny because right now I'm really having a good time with my 17-year-old son going through and watching all the Doctor Who episodes. And I'm thinking... Oh, Bill Gates must must have watched this one. I know he watched this one. <laughs> you know, and and you see all this these different things from my childhood in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. The type it's like you know, and, and instead of seeing it as a a warning about how we shouldn't go, right. some people like, in the world decided, oh, oh I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a dark sci-fi. And the good news, Bernadette, is I you know really they are the one percent, and we are the ninety nine percent. And we can derail this. We and we have to, and we will. But um, that's our job: is to yeah. get the message out. And you've been, you know, uh, just a light in the firmament on this. I mean, you just have done such an amazing job in Washington and holding back the powers that be. I mean, you and your state are up against one of the key figures. Uh, and between IHME and the Gates Foundation and the government that sort of pays obeisance, I mean, you guys have had your work cut out for you, and you've done remarkable work, and we're grateful. Well, you know, fingers crossed. Um, you know, I'm part of a nonprofit here, so I cannot tell people how to vote. I have to just stay at the level of education here. But I beg everybody, vote, vote, vote. You know, and if you've been listening to what we're saying, <laughs> you probably know. Um, so, yeah, and you know, we're I've I've talked to you, you know, off air about where this state is heading, and it's it's pretty scary. We do need people. That, I often say that, you know. Moving through this whole thing with with vaccines, with loss of medical freedom for so many situations that we've kind of survived, but not very well because we've all protected ourselves 
And we haven't had enough people standing up and just saying no, because of the, the fear of losing your job, fear of losing your home. I mean, there's a lot of fear put behind standing um, up against the, the status quo. And, you know, their marketing side is so very good. But now we're backed into a corner that we've been painted in the corner. They've got us by the root hairs, you know, and they're trying to paint under our feet, you know, and if we don't stand up now, it's stand up or bend over. I'm sorry. So, but that's so, you know. so, but you know, let me just inspire people a little bit. So I was so privileged. So we've recently set up the children's health defense Europe. We have some amazing activists and advocates in Europe. And I went with Bobby Kennedy over to Berlin, where he gave a speech to a million people, Bernadette, mm -hmm. a million people wow. assembled in Germany from all over the world, you know, all over Europe and even the world. And um, last Saturday in 15 countries, people were assembling and many people were beaten up. You know, one of the, the lawyers that essentially organized our trip to Berlin, I saw photos of him, you know, on the ground being beaten by police. I mean, Is he okay? Yeah, he's okay. And he called me and he was, you know, released. But I mean, it, it, it you know, we are up against some very serious um, forces here. But mm -hmm. the good news is, is that people are standing up and where I see people standing up sort of the most aggressively, if you will, is in countries that really lived through fascism and communism, right? In Eastern Europe, they know what this smells like. They know what this feels like. They know where this leads. They're not gonna let this happen, you know, without a fight. They're just not gonna let it happen without a fight. And so, you know, in Berlin, uh, you know, they get it. And, uh, and in Eastern Europe, in Poland, there've been big marches in Slovakia. And so, and part of what's so challenging for us is basically, the pharmaceutical industry, the public health community, governments have been working internationally with great resources for many, many years. And we, you know, have many fewer resources. And frankly, we're not in an international network. And that's one of the many things, you know, we have to sort of really get our infrastructure among the states, but with other countries, we need to kind of up our game on that very quickly because we are up against some very well-coordinated forces. Um, but we outnumber, we, we, you know, <laughs> this is all about the money and the control. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, most humans want to have human lives. They really do. They actually want to control their own bodies. They want to control their own minds. They want to control their own children. They want to be able to raise their children in the way that they think fit. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to be able to, you know, attend to their own health. And I really think... <laughs> They've got a very tough road to hoe, even with the fear, even with the propaganda. You know, when they start rolling out vaccines that you and I, I think both really fully expect are gonna cause a lot of injury, Bernadette, mm -hmm. people are gonna say no. And unfortunately, it's probably gonna take that. It's probably gonna be when these vaccines are rolled out and basically people are told they don't have a choice. And then you start to see people really having severe injuries and dying. And then people are going to get, you know, word of mouth travels, you know, you can cut down the internet, you can not put stuff in the press, but p there are other means people talk to one another, you can't stop that. Yeah, well, and that's one of the reasons, you know, why it said they're trying to keep us socially distanced in our homes, not gathering in groups. So, you know, there's that less opportunity to spread the word, but that's I do true. believe in the human spirit. 
um, and the fight for good and right. And, you know, I too hold out hope that we will win, but it's, it's going to be crazy. And, and, um, I was really, um, pleased to see, did you see that the journalist Glenn Greenwald is his name? He I was did. with, yeah. So he resigned from the intercept, the, uh, uh, is it a is it a news magazine or a news it's an online magazine and it's sort of left liberal and uh Greenewalt, i think has been associated with it with naomi klein and others for a long time it's relatively well resourced of course Greenewalt was the person who really brought out the ed snowden story he was mm. one of the two journalists that edward snowden gave his documents to he's uh Greenewalt's based in brazil and he, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Bernadette, it came out, I think, today, but he wrote a piece about Hunter Biden. And it's an important, what was Hunter Biden doing? Why was he, you know, working in Ukraine? What credentials does he have? Those are legitimate questions. Mm -hmm. I'm not anti anybody, but, you know, if he was basically getting these positions as sort of patronage because his father was the vice president, and if his father, the vice president, was engaged in some way, that's news. That's politics. Right. That's worthy of consideration. And it's not for mainstream media, even if mainstream media absolutely despises President Trump, which they do. It is not for them to suppress valid information. Exactly. No, it, that, is, that is the road to that is the road to, you know, the end of our democracy. Exactly. So, and so I was so encouraged that he took that big step and very publicly yep. expressed in a very lengthy letter why you know and more and more people are doing this and you know we can't survive a democracy does not survive without a very a free press and for the longest time people have just been going along and it's like this whole covid craziness has made a lot of people reach that tipping point it took a lot for some people to some step back before all this began. I know a wonderful journalist, Alison Morrow. She's fabulous. She just decided she wanted to be totally free, went independent. You know, um, Jeremy Hammond and, you know, all these other people have been coming out. But this is what we need. We need a free press. You know? I want to just add one sort of optimistic note. So you may or may not know and your listeners um, on Tuesday this week, we came out with a new publication, The Defender, and it's going to mm -hmm. be coming out from Tuesday to Saturday every week. And it is going to be interactive. The whole idea is to combat the censorship and to have real discourse, real civil discourse, real clashing of ideas because that's what we really need and that's what mainstream media isn't providing so it's called the defender it's on the website of children's health defense and i invite everybody to look at it and comment contribute that's fantastic and that's where we got to leave it we're right up against the wall thank you mary holland for joining us on an informed life radio everybody please vote and take care of yourselves be free you've been listening to uh, bye. <laughs> Listening to 1150 AM KKNW. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, 
inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Thank you.